What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of In the Nick of Time. I am blessed to have this opportunity to engage in healthy monologue that is much needed. I hope that in the nick of time, I will pro- it will progress to open dialogue with other guests and interviews that I may be able to do. Is anybody that wants to have a conversation with me? I would love to have a conversation about anything that I speak of on my platform, on my podcast. So today's episode is 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 dealing with something that is so prevalent in today's society and it's very serious. I'm talking about mental health. And it comes from the many things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, like the pandemic that we're trying to come back from now, uh, the war in the Ukraine, and so many different things that are happening here just in the United States in and of itself, like different cities. The situation at the Oscars, now I won't get into that because I've done videos. Go check out my channel on YouTube. I did two videos on that situation with Will Smith and Chris Rock. Uh, so I won't go in depth on some of the things that I'm going to bring up as far as some of the things that cause our mental issues and our mental health issues, but I will try to give you more of a godly perspective on when we're dealing with those things. And the first thing that I can think of is how we worry. And how we worry is dealing with the things that we let dwell in our spirit and on our mind on a day-to-day basis. And we worry about things like our children. We worry about how we're going to pay our bills, what we're going to eat, the job that we have, you know, the security on that job, the, the 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 point where we don't have as much security. So I can give you my answers and what I what I do when I'm worried. But I'm not I'm not a therapist, so my what works for me may not work for you. But I will tell you that God has the answer to all of our problems so in Matthew 6 starting at verse 25 this is what Jesus said about worrying therefore I say to you do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing Then he talks about the birds of the air. Basically, not saying that they're not important to to nature, but he's just saying, look, I take care of them. So why wouldn't I take care of you? Because he said, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap. So he's basically saying they don't have to do much. They don't go to a job every day. They they don't do certain things 
So, but I take care of them. Nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his statue? So you you stunt your growth when you worry. You stunt your spiritual growth. I'm not going to... You, because if you're going to be tall, you're going to be tall. If you're going to be short, you're going to be short. But you stunt your spiritual growth. You can't worry a situation away. You can't let it play in your mind so long that you're trying to figure out how to fix it. Because you will never be able to fix it. Then he goes on to say, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. So he's just letting you know, look. All of these these things that are, are placed in, 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 that we see every day. Trees, plants, uh, flowers, birds flying around. We see all of these things and they continue to live a fulfilling life and they don't they don't do the things and they can't do the things that we do but we feel like our lives are only fulfilled if we have and can do what we want to do and that's why we worry the next thing that we deal with that I say for myself is I don't like when people make fun of me now Dealing with that, that's hitting on a little bit of, you know, the situation that happened at the Oscars. We can say those things are not a big deal, and your reaction to it uh, is important. And you can tell me how I should and should not react, but you can't tell me that I cannot have a reaction or a feeling about it. I don't like when people make fun of me, but I can give you my opinion on what I would do when people do make fun of me. I can give you, I can say, well, I'll get mad. I can say I won't talk to them again. I can say that I may, I may do the same thing Will Smith did, but at the end of the day, is that, is my way the right way? So let's look at what the Word of God says about making fun of people. Therefore you, in Romans 2 and 1, it says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. So basically... If you don't like being made fun of, make sure you're not making fun of people. Make sure that you, if you call someone ugly, somebody else may call you ugly. And you're probably not going to like when you're called ugly. But you may say, it's okay if I call somebody ugly because I feel like I'm just stating the fact. But at the end of the day, wrong is wrong. Right is right and wrong is wrong. So that answer is clear. What you don't like, make sure you're not doing 
the same thing. It's like if you say, I hate a two-faced person. Uh, make sure that you're looking in the mirror and saying to yourself, are you a two-faced person? Are you someone that will will backbite? You have to make sure that you are not in that in that same crowd you claim to hate or you claim that you don't like. Like, do you make fun of people? Do you like to make fun of people? Do you think it's funny when other people make fun of people? Because sometimes that's the other thing. We think it's funny when somebody else is the bun of the joke until we become the bun of the joke. So we have to deal with ourselves, basically. Now the next one is something that I think a lot of us can relate to. Even myself. I don't like my job. That's something that a lot of us deal with. But I can say, I can run down all the reasons I don't like my job. I can tell you so many different things. But I can tell you that I don't have the answer to how to fix it. I can honestly tell you that I'm... Tomorrow, I'm still probably going to feel the same way, no matter what I feel is the right thing for me to do. I may say, I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to do this. And I may say, well, I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to treat the job like this. Or I can think about where am I going wrong, and what do I need to change. Okay, let's look at. Genesis chapter 2 because basically God has give, had given Adam and Adam some instructions on what he was supposed to be doing. Now look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. Then the Lord took then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, simple instructions. But what happened? We can talk about how Eve got deceived and they made that that's where the mistake came in. But he was give he was given Adam was given simple instructions. It's the same way when you go to your job every day. You're given simple instructions, simple tasks, and all you have to do is what you're supposed to do. And go home when it's time for you to go home. Simple, right? At, well, Adam didn't do that, so let's look at the result so we can kind of understand why we hate our jobs, even for myself. So when later on in Genesis 3.17, after they had been caught in their sin, not following instructions, 
This is what God did and how he dealt with it. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And told you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So think about it. What are you, how are we dealing with not liking our jobs? How do we deal with that? Not going to stay that long. Now, let's get into, I had it lined up a certain way, but I'm going to switch around a little bit because I think that, you know, some of the things that we we deal with on a day-to-day basis, we don't understand, like, how to, how to deal with them, and we try to, we may try therapy and all these different things, but. Let's look at our children. And we talk about our young people in today's society and how they're different and how they're hard-headed and how they don't listen. And I'm one I'm a firm believer in I think the real issue with our young people is the fact that my next thing, I want my children to have a better life than I had. Then, And that's kind of what parents today do. They want to give their children the life that they feel like they didn't come up with. And... Like I say, what's the what is the better life? That and what is the what is the thing that you felt was lacking in your life that you're trying to give your kids? And for the most part, it's material things. So let's look at what now. Let's look at what God says. Not saying that you can't. Give your kids nice things. You can't put a nice roof over their head. Buy them nice things. But let's look at what the word of God says. He said in 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen. Now for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for their parents. But the parents for the children. So so that's saying create a legacy for your kids. Create a, a, a lifestyle for your children that your children can create for their children. Give your kids something that will last. Not something that is gonna get old. You buy your children a pair of Jordans, and the next, the new pair of Jordans are coming out next month. 
So once the new ones, the new Jordans come out, you bought them the old Jordans. But listen to this scripture again. It says, now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So, do you give your child whatever they want? Because you feel like you didn't have it. But all of the things that you think you did not have, they're perishing. They're perishing. Because then, because at the end of the day, your children can't take any of the material things that you give them with them when they die. When when they're dead and gone, it's over. Same thing with you. So, what can you give your kids that you feel like you didn't have? Okay? Fathers, Colossians 3.21 you can do this for your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So you can encourage your kids and not discourage your kids. You can give them that. Proverbs 22 and 6 puts it this way. So you can give your child this. Train up your child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So you give your child discipline. You give your children encouragement. You lay up a legacy for them. You create a legacy for them. Something that they, when they come on, they can pass it on to their children. The New Jordans. Their children may not even be, their, their children are not going to be able to wear those new Jordans. Because by the time their children get old, it's going to be some new trend, a new shoe that's out, new name brand that's out. So, what are you giving your children? Proverbs 22 and 6 said, train up your child. So, give your child discipline. Give your child something that that they can carry with them through life that will help them navigate life, knowledge. Something that they can take with them when they get older. I remember when mom said this. I remember when dad said this. And it helps them. And it's lasting. And it puts them in a position to, so that they can win in life. Because you can buy them any and everything they want. And and children's attention span is slow. After so long, they don't even want to play with whatever it is you bought them. They don't even want to wear those shoes that you bought them. Because a new pair of shoes have come out. And they want those. Or you've gotten them the new ones. So the old ones just sit in the closet. So... Giving your children a good life is giving them something they can hold on to. You encourage them to be the best version of themselves, and you train them up 
which is you give them some discipline. Now, let's go back to, I want to live a good life. Now, we talked about our children, but we want the same thing. We want to live what we call a good life, so to speak. But what does that what does that consist of? What does that good life look like? Now let's look at what God says for us, because I can tell you the good life is I got a nice car, a nice home, I got plenty of money in the bank. I got the job of my I got the career of my dreams. I got a great husband, I got great kids. Now, is that the is that a good life? Now, to most, it may seem like that's a good life. That's a great life. Now, what does God say about that? In Hebrews 13 and 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, covetousness, what, that, what does that mean? Well, what determines our, our you know, feeling of a good life is looking around at everyone else. And thinking, if I had the car that they had. If I had the home that they had, if I had the husband that they had, then I would be living the life that I want to live. If I had the job that they had. But he said, let your conduct be without covetedness. Because if you, if you determine, if you determine your life's worth or your worth by what somebody else has, Therein lies the mental breakdown. If I consider myself to be living a bad life because I see everyone else living a different way, what does that say for me? Then I'm trying to compete. I'm trying to outdo. And in that, I'm becoming tired. I'm becoming worn out. And I'm starting to feel bad about myself. I'm starting to... Say, I'm not good enough. So what does the good life look like? The good life looks like this. He tells you. When you start to realize that the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we can say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So that's the good life. When I can honestly decide that, look, I know no matter what's going on, I'm going to be okay. No matter what has happened, I'm going to be okay. So what does the good life look like? What is the good life for me? The good life for me is saying, look. Not I'm not sounding cliche. This is what the word of God says. I stand on this. I don't have to fear man. 
I don't have to look at what somebody else is doing. I can only, because when you wake up in the morning, you first see you. So you're the first person you have to deal with in the morning. You don't have to deal with most of these people that you deal with until you walk out the door, maybe go to work, maybe go into a store or something like that. But otherwise, you are the first person that you have to deal with when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and you're the one that's staring back at you. Not all the people that you talked to or, or argued with yesterday, you're dealing with you. So if I can look in the mirror and say, look, the Lord has never left me nor forsaken me. I'm good, I'm blessed, and I'm okay. So how do we get to a point where we realize that the good life is not what we think the good life is? It's what the world has made the good life look like. It's what the world has told us that the good life is. Now this next one is a doozy. I want the perfect husband or wife. Mm. Mm. The perfect husband or wife. Now, there's that word again. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, seriously. We, we know. Because we say it every day. No one is perfect. No one was created to be perfect. So, if that's the case, what does the perfect wife or husband look like? What does it look like? Well, I can tell you what 1 Peter 3 and 7 says. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So, what is he saying there? Just looking at that, what is he saying? Because most of us, when we take that scripture, we're only looking at the part of the scripture that talks about the wife being the weaker vessel. But what is he really saying there? In verse 6, okay, let's go back to verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So he's he's telling the wife the power that she has. He's telling the wife, if you live for Christ, if you do the right things, then you can you can... Be that example for your husband. And then he will start to do the right things. So you can't be that argumentative, forceful, aggressive wife and woman. And and argue with your husband and nag your husband at every turn. And then expect him to be that husband that is understanding towards you. And can be that provider, that protector. When you feel like you have so much independence that you don't really truly need him. 
As it says, wives, likewise be submissive to your husband. See, we look at that one word, submissive. Submissive, we got to know what these words mean. And I'll talk about that in another episode so that we can kind of get an understanding that being submissive doesn't mean you're, you're, you're bowing down and you don't have any say, so, any voice or anything of that nature. So, And then in verse 2 it says, when they observe your chest and conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair wearing gold or pulling on fine apparel. So he's not telling you not to look nice. See, we get that twisted as when you talk about dressing moderate, moderately. He's not tell, God is not saying don't look nice. But he's saying don't only focus on making yourself attractive outside. Because if you if you look good on the outside, but then every day you're nagging, you're mean, you you're aggressive like a man, and you don't you don't care how you make your husband feel. It doesn't matter how good you look on the outside, because he said in verse four, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is very precious in the sight of God. So it's not in the sight of man. It's in the sight of God. And then verse 5. For in this manner. In former times. The holy women. Who trusted in God. Also adorned themselves. Being submissive to their own husband. As Sarah obeyed Abraham. Calling him Lord. Whose daughters you are. If you do good and are not afraid. With any terror. Husbands likewise. Dwell with them with understanding. So it's not. So he's telling us how to be. But he's telling the husband. In order to get that. What what verse 1 through 6 said. You got to be the type of man. That's understanding. That means. Know your wife's triggers and don't push her buttons. Don't don't hurt your wife's your wife hard by cheating where she can't trust you anymore. Don't beat her down with your words making her feel like she's less than. Don't try to put her in a corner and and make her feel like she's not significant to the relationship. Because he said husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. So you don't have to point out her weaknesses. You just have to know her weaknesses. And once you know her weaknesses, you try to help her. In a way where you embrace her strengths and you you love her weaknesses and her flaws and you let her know that she's still special even though she has some things about her that she can do some work on. Because why does she want to look good for somebody that doesn't make her feel good? 
if you're gonna verbally and emotionally abuse your wife, how does she how does she submit to that? When she has to go to bed at night crying and upset and hurt because she doesn't trust you, because you don't she doesn't feel loved by you. So we want the perfect husband or wife, but we got to look at Okay, we always say we're nobody's perfect, but it's certain things in certain areas we can work in and work on. And when we when we do the work, we'll see progress. Because we go to therapists and we feel like when somebody's telling us how to live our lives, we're like, that doesn't help me. That didn't help me. Well, maybe it's because... You didn't do the work. If you feel like the only way your spouse is going to hear you is if you yell, it's something wrong with that. It's something wrong with that relationship. Because I shouldn't have to yell with, at you. And you shouldn't have to yell at me. Because when we're yelling, we're not hearing. I don't hear you. You don't hear me. You just hear yelling. And once the yelling goes on for too long, we're tuning each other out. I'm not listening to you. You're not listening to me. So we can't figure out how we're going to do the work. How we're going to get to the place of I trust you. You trust me. I, you know, and we can talk things out. We can get to a place where we can talk things out. So, the last one that I wanted to look at was, I do not like that I look at people's outward appearance. Let me say that again. I do not like that I look at outward appearance. Because we talk about racial profiling and all of those things. But when you think about it, I, don't, I, I, I get nervous. I'm a black woman and I get nervous in my neighborhood if I see someone walking with a hoodie on their head down the street at night. Now, I'm not going to go out there and approach them. And attack them and try to take matters into my own hands. I'm not even going to say that I will call the police at that point. Just because they're walking down the street with a hoodie on their head. But it it does send my radar up a little bit. It does. My alertness becomes a little bit sharper. I'm watching a little bit more. If I see that, my reaction is not going to be that of a person that decides I'm going to go out here and I'm going to uh, I'm going to approach this person because that's when it's wrong. But I will not say that I can I can honestly say that I'm not going to say that I, I wouldn't look at a person who has a hood, a black hoodie on. Walking through my neighborhood late at night. I'm not going to say 
that I wouldn't look at them and and have this thought of, man, what are they up to? I can't say that I won't have that same attitude. If I see a young man and his pants are hanging off and they're tight and he has some, some dreads in his head, I'm not going to say that I see the next Barack Obama. So we all have, but but the sad part about it is he could be. And he may be. So we all have to work on that. I'm looking at you. What you look like is this. But I don't really know who you really are because I'm not trying to get to know you. I'm just deciding that I know something about you. Because I say to myself, hey, he looks like he he looks like he's a, a thug. Does that mean he is one? Something to think about. Now those are my opinions. But what does the word of God say? In Acts thirteen and twenty two. And when he had removed, Paul said, and when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Now, how did he, how did God determine that David was after his own heart? Because if it, because everyone before David defeated Goliath, everyone was looking at David like, "Look, you too little. You don't have the strength. He's gonna destroy you." So, but God said, "Look, he's standing with me. I'm bigger than Goliath. So, as he's standing with me, I'm standing with him." So guess what? His his small statue, as far as in the physical sense, has nothing to do with his spiritual statue, which I'm gonna stand with. So he all he had to do was take a slingshot and a and a stone, shoot it between Goliath's eyes, and that was it. Now what does that say to your spirit and mine? that we have to stop looking at what we think about a person and how they look because we don't know who's fighting with them and for them. Because what's small to us is what God can take and make it huge. Because that's what he does. He takes the weakest and makes it stronger than the strong. So that's what we have to look at. I don't like that I look at a person and I can say, hey, that person looks like they're no more than a two-bit junkie. But I don't know anything about them. I don't know their story. I don't know their struggle. I don't know why they choose to do what they do. 
So I really need to change the way I think in the way that I choose to do things. Because my thing is, if you don't know what you're talking about, be quiet. If you don't know anything about a person, don't speak on that person. Because it's not up to us to feel like we know anything about a person and we don't know uh, know anything about that person just by outward appearance. Outward appearance doesn't say a lot about the person's actual personality. Because you have a lot of pretty women who have an ugly heart. You have a lot of handsome men that have an ugly heart. You have a lot of ugly people that have a beautiful heart. Now, which one do you think is the best to deal with and be around? Is it the person that's beautiful? Because they, because to the world and to society, it's cute to be around the, 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 the popular, pretty, and handsome people. That's that's popular, but in when the relationship, when it comes to the relationship, that person is not good for you and your spirit and how they make you feel on a day-to-day basis. Everybody's like, oh, you hanging with so-and-so, so-and-so, and that makes you feel like you're cool. But when it comes to dealing with that person, you and that person fight on a day-to-day basis because that person mistreats you on a day-to-day basis. That person misuses you on a day-to-day basis. You can't trust that person on a, on, because that person may want what you have. That person is willing to stab you in the back. That person is really willing to step on you to get to the top. So, outward appearance is important to a certain degree, which are a lot of things. They're important to a certain degree. You have to put them in their proper place, give it proper perspective, give it proper attention, and not just assume, oh, I got to put all my, my, my eggs in one basket. I got to focus on how I look. I got to put my eggs in in, in one basket. I got to focus on how I dress. But I'm not focusing on personality. What what comes out of my mouth. What I allow to dwell in my mind and in my spirit. So guys, let's reprogram my thinking. My time is almost up. So I'm going to end this podcast. This episode. And until the next time, guys, let's reprogram our thinking. Let's have a great week. Let's live life in our lifestyle. And let's recover the life that the devil is trying to steal from us every day that we wake up and touch the flow. But I'm going to end my, my this episode like I end every episode, letting God's word have the final say. In Second Peter 3, 8. 
But do not forget that this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So, guys, let's do the work. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, peace.